When Star Wars Episode Four came out in 1977, I was 11 years old. As you can imagine, for an 11-year-old boy, it was a great time to be alive. It's funny, though. The first Star Wars episode for me, the first one for me, is what we call today Episode 4. The very first Star Wars movie I saw was was Episode 4. In recent years, we've seen the prequels. I like the the original episodes better than I do the prequels, uh, I'm, I'm sad to say. Uh, although they do have some of their merit, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Uh, prequels are books or movies that tell a story or an event before an earlier book or movie. And if you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you're going to see hear a mention of a prequel of sorts. There was a letter written to the Corinthians before what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It was a prequel. And we learn about this letter in 1st Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. 1st Corinthians chapter 9, that was my lame attempt to be whoever it is that made Star Wars. George Lucas. Uh, who is it to, this prequel letter? This letter before 1 Corinthians. Who is it to? Uh, why is, you know, wh- where is it now? Why don't we have it in the, in the Bible, this, this letter written to the Corinthians? Why is it even mentioned here? And uh, what did it say? Uh, these are an- questions we're going to answer. It, it was written to the Corinthians. Most scholars say very shortly before 1 Corinthians was written, uh, the, the letter is not mentioned again after it is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. So we do not know what happened to it. But it is mentioned to make a point. And that's the reason it's, reason it's mentioned. And we know what it, said, what it said, maybe not word for word. But we know what this letter said, the, the content, the context of the letter, and just as 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians speak to us, they mold us, they they shape us today, so does this this prequel letter. We are going to find out what God wants us to know today by looking at the surrounding context of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, to understand what the prequel said to the Corinthians and the ramifications of for us today. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Why is this letter mentioned here? Now, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we had an outline sermon of sorts on 1 Corinthians, where uh, number one, Paul was concerned about the division in the church. It was his concern about that. And when you have division in the church, we understood that you have disorder in the church. And Paul condemns their disorder in the church. But he goes on to counsel their difficulties. And I hope you'll be here on the 21st because we're going we're gonna to look at the first of Paul's counsel to the difficulties they were having in, in Corinth. And we're going to be looking at marriage 
as it said in the bulletin, we're going to be looking at uh, what is the basics of marriage? What does marriage mean to us today, okay? And what does the Bible say about marriage? So I hope that you can be here. I hope that you you and your your friends uh, can be here as well if you'll invite your friends. Uh, I don't see them here today. Did, wasn't somebody engaged last night? Didn't somebody get engaged last night? So maybe maybe they would be a good one to be here uh, for that as well. Uh, Morgan Parker got engaged last night, if uh, y'all don't know. Um, chapters 1 through 3 is where we talk about, we look at the concern, the division in the church. And, but it's like Paul and Apollos. Paul and Apollos are, Paul is writing to us about he and Apollos, how that we need chapter 4 and verse 10 to be fools for Christ. If you look at chapter 4, verse 14, Paul, he didn't write these things to shame them. He's not writing about their, their division and their disorder and the difficulties they were having. He's not writing those things to, to shame them. But because he preached the gospel to him, to them, he, Paul, he says here, felt like a father. He felt responsible for the Corinthians. He wanted the Corinthians to imitate him, he says. Just like we do with our earthly fathers. You know, I can remember, I can see it in my mind right now. Uh, uh, that, that house I showed you, you know, uh, last week where we're sitting at the table. We're all sitting on top of the table. I can remember being in that basement and me and daddy walking out. I don't know where we were headed, but I had my hands like this. You see how my hands are like this? I said, daddy, I'm a man now. I'm a man now. He says, why, son? Because I must have been five, six years old. I'm a man now, Daddy. Why? He says, because my hands are, are curled up like this. Because if you look at a man's hands, a little boy's hands, they're kind of straight. But a man's hands who've had their hands around tools or equipment or things, you know what I mean? Their hands are curled up. So I thought you became a man when your hands started curling up. But I saw my dad's hands curled up. And I thought, so I curled mine up. I'm a man now, Daddy. We imitate our fathers. We imitate our earthly fathers. And the Corinthians, they were to imitate Paul like a father. So as a father, Paul provided them with help in the form of Timothy. If you look at verse 17 of chapter 4, he, Timothy, it says, will remind you of my ways in Christ. Why? Well, verse 16, so that we, so that they could imitate Paul like a father. In chapter 5, we see where the division in the Corinthian church, it brought disorder. Beginning with chapter 5, verse 1, read with me. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. The Corinthians, they were were okay. They were just fine with with the sexual morality that was was going on right in front of them. Here's Paul's judgment on on the matter. And Paul's not even there, but look at his judgment. Verse 3, For I indeed am absent in the body, but present in spirit having already judged, as though I was present, him who has done this deed. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice what Paul says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Hey, this just brings up more questions, doesn't it? How do you deliver one to Satan? And how does doing that save someone? Paul says, you being, you being happy and okay with the incest and immorality that's going on around you, hey, that's not good. You, you can't be happy about such things. You can't be okay with that. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The sin in your church, Paul is saying, doesn't even phase you. You've got actual sin in the middle of you and you're not even worried about it. It should break your hearts, Paul says. It should make, you, should make you want to repent. It should make you want the people to repent. Shouldn't this person or, or, or this, this people with leaven, shouldn't they, shouldn't they be dealt with, Paul is saying? It's a rhetorical question. Yes, they should be dealt with. A leavened church is full of evil. An unleavened church is simple and genuine. And it's with this context that we come to chapter 5, verse 9. Okay? And, and the prequel to 1 Corinthians. The prequel letter to First and 2 Corinthians. And we, we may not have this letter right in front of us. But we know what Paul said in his prequel letter. Let's read it again. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Paul wrote a letter. And this may have been all the content or only part of it. We don't know. But in the letter that the Corinthians were given, they were told not to keep company. Don't be at home with the sexually immoral. Don't associate with, don't mix with the sexually immoral. Now what's sexually immoral? What does that mean? Who are the sexually immoral? Well, to obey, we must be able to make a distinction. We've got to know this. We've got to understand this. We've got to understand who is the sexually immoral, who is not the sexually immoral. Not that so we can point the finger, but to look at ourselves and say, well, I'm one or the other. The original word comes from the Greek, the word pornos, the word where we get the word pornography, sexually immoral, pornos, pornography. It, it, it's translated fornicator. It's translated sexually immoral, people who indulge in sexual sin and whoremongers. Those are the, those are the across-the-board translations in the different versions of sexually immoral. 
The original word is used of a man who is a prostitute or a fornicator who has sex outside of marriage. That's what the word is used for. This is wrong. It's wrong to do that. It's against God and and all who are involved or have been involved with sex outside of marriage. And if you have been involved with sex outside of marriage, you've got to repent. Acts chapter 17 verse 30. God used to wink at ignorance, but not anymore. If you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you have got to repent of this sin if you're involved with it today. So many living in this life want to act like they live in the light. But really what they do is live in the dark. You know you're in the dark and you've been there so long, your fornication, it doesn't bother you anymore. And it doesn't even bother the people around you anymore. They even know about it and it doesn't bother them. Hearts are hard. And as Christians, we've got to judge We've got to make a distinction. We've got to make a distinction. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We can't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, it says. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, as Christians, we're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful. It says the works of darkness are there. We're not to have, have... doings with them, dealings with the works of darkness, we're rather to expose the works of darkness. Did you ever sing that kissing song? Remember that kissing song? I'm going to pick on you and Melanie. You and Doug. Doug, you and Melanie. Doug and Melanie sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First came love, then came marriage. Here comes Doug with a baby carriage. You remember that song? Y'all used to play that song? It's gotten, it's gotten warped a little bit, hasn't it now? Now, if today, if we sang it, we'd say... Doug and Melanie sitting in the tree, K-A-S-S-I-N-G. Doug coming with a baby carriage. That's the way our society is today, isn't it? We skip the love and the marriage. Go straight to the baby carriage. This was... This was the norm for a while to, to have that order, but not so today. Light or dark, where are you? It's my question to you today. Light or dark? In verse 10 of chapter 5, Paul clarifies his intent uh, from, the, from the prequel. He, he's clarifying here. Verse 10, yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. You would have to be out of this world entirely to get away from sin. I'm quoting Brother David Owens from Liverpool, New York, who quotes George Barna. He says that 60% of Americans believe that the best way to establish a successful marriage is to live together. 60% of Americans believe that living together is the best way, the best foundation for a marriage. 
prior to marriage, 60%. 60%. And then half, half of all couples who live together, half of all couples that live together first, they break up after the first two years. Brother Owens writes, from the, from the statistics... It is difficult to believe that only 50 years ago... Just think about that. I'm, I'm about to turn 47, okay? In my, just in my lifetime, when I was born, 50 years ago, living together as unmarried, heterosexual couple was both illegal and considered immoral. 50 years ago, it was illegal and immoral to live together. Times have changed. People's opinions have changed, but God's will and opinion has not changed. But as Christians, we are prone to take on the attitudes and behaviors of the world, aren't we? We're prone to do it. Church, sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's wrong. We must make a distinction between light and dark, right and wrong, and be okay with being distinctive, and be okay with that. There's such a thing as decorum, decorum, appropriate behavior. And the world has forgotten it. And sadly, Christians and children of Christians have forgotten what decorum is as well. Appropriate behavior. Dr. Brad Harib, and I've tried to give everyone a copy. If you can't, don't have a copy of this, I'm referring to this now. I sent it out in email. Dr. Brad Harib, he wrote an excellent article this past June 18th, uh, 2013. Let me read a part of it. The National Center for Health Statistics reported yesterday that marriage rates in the United States are at historic lows. In the report, they actually phrased their findings as the nation's ongoing retreat from marriage. So the decline in marriage rates is not an indication that males and females are avoiding relationships until later on. On the contrary, relationships for many individuals start well before they leave high school. The same report noted that the number of couples living together without being married has almost doubled over the last decade. Relationships are not being avoided, but long-term commitment is. Here's, Here's where he hits home. It is a sad day when the foundational relationship in society is ignored in favor of gaining pleasure for self without the challenge of commitment. We as the church must begin to do a better job of standing up for marriage. We've done a good job of standing against homosexual marriage over the past few years as it, is, as it, has, as it has been a key issue. But standing against one perversion of marriage stops short of standing for true biblical marriage. When we stand for true biblical marriage, we stand against homosexual marriage, premarital sex, and pregnancies, and the abortions that result from them in many cases. Cohabitation, unscriptural marriages after divorce, and whatever other ways our culture finds to mess up God's plan for men and women. As the church, we need to help strengthen the marriages of those who have been married 
of those who have been married. We need to learn at the feet of those who have set examples of long-term commitment. We need to teach our children what marriage is and why it's important so that they know the truth when the world confronts them with conflicting teachings on the matter. We need to teach teens that relationships with the opposite sex are serious and should be pursued with marriage in mind. We need to teach single people of marriageable age to guard themselves against temptation and to pursue only those who will help them grow closer to God. The world, notice now, the world may have a false understanding of one of God's most sacred institutions, but the church cannot. Amen? Amen. We cannot afford to give in on this. Exodus International. You heard of that organization? It's not the church. Exodus International was founded 37 years ago, and they've been in the news here in the last few days. And their basic ministry for the last 30 years, 37 years, was to help men and women out of some homosexuality by praying the gay away. If you pray just hard enough and long enough, you won't be homosexual anymore was their platform for 37 years. Exodus International closed their doors Thursday, and the head of it, Alan Chambers, he apologized to the gay community at the annual conference of Exodus International. Here's what he said. It says, from, this is from the Associated Press, Alan Chambers of Exodus International tells the Associated Press Thursday that the church has waged the culture war and it's time to put the weapons down. He said, he said Exodus, whose work infuriated many gay rights activists, will be closing down. He and his allies will be forming a new ministry seeking to open a conversation among those who have been on opposite sides of the debate over gay rights. He says... They want to see bridges built and want to see us be, want to see peace be at the forefront of anything we do in the future. This is what he says. While there has been so much good at Exodus, there's been so much bad. He said, we fought the culture war and we've lost. Now it's time for peace. A new group has splintered off from them. A new group is going to be calling themselves the Restored Hope Network. Network. Here's what they said. It calls itself an ex-gay ministry and continues to promote the idea. This is the idea that it promotes. And here's the problem in our society today. It continues to promote the idea that gays can be converted to heterosexuality. That's their problem. That's why this organization will fail. Conversion needs to occur. But the focus doesn't need to be on homosexuality or heterosexuality. It needs to be on Christianity. If they're a converted Christian, just like Dr. Harab said, if they're a converted Christian, they won't worry about homosexuality. They won't worry about premarital sex. If you're a real Christian, you don't live that way. You, live a, a, you have appropriate behavior and you make a distinction from God's word about how you should live your life. People need to be converted Christians. Then they'll less likely be sexually immoral or covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Many we know and are friends with are so caught up in the world. 
Yet Paul didn't mean not to have anything to do, uh, have nothing to do at all with, with outsiders. That would violate other principles in Scripture. That's not what he's saying. We'd have to go outside this world to, to do so. But notice what Paul says, chapter 5, verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. We must make a distinction in who is a brother and who is not. And we must understand Christian decorum, the appropriate behavior that we've got to, we've got to act as a Christian But we have a tendency to look for loopholes, don't we? Brother Owen has a great analogy covering loopholes. He he writes, Our independent, selfish nature causes us to look for a way that rules don't apply to us. For example, you go to one of your kids or one of your friends, you go to one of the schools, the elementary or middle schools here in town, and you come into the gym eating a lollipop. And, the fr- and your friend says, hey, didn't you see that sign? No eating or drinking in the gym? What loophole are you likely to use so that you, continue to, you can continue to eat your lollipop? You might explain, well, they don't mean, they, what they mean is don't bring food in. And when they say food, they mean like hamburgers and such. Technically, a lollipop is not food. It's, it's candy. Technically, you don't eat a lollipop. You, you suck on a, on a lollipop. And, and really, the rule is given out for children in the first place. They just don't want come, kids coming in here and spilling all their stuff. That's the reason they have this. They really don't mean responsible adults like me. I won't make a mess. Have you ever used that kind of loophole reasoning when you come to the Scriptures? I know what the Bible says, but technically, technically, the Bible may say that, but what what it really means is, I know such and such is wrong. I know sexual immorality is wrong. I know fornication is wrong. I know sleeping with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my fill-in-the-blank is wrong. But the Bible doesn't say anything about blank. This kind of loophole looking goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The devil, he came to eat. You surely won't die. You're not going to die right now. Everybody's looking for the loophole. Because our heart is so prone to self-deception, we must be very intent on coming to God's Word to see what God is really really saying to us And not looking for what we want him to say to us. The world says, but we love each other. Isn't that what it's all about, love? Isn't that what it's all about? But do you love God, truly? We're going to get married anyway. You heard that one before? We're going to get married anyway. My grandmother said, uh, when I brought a girl in and I showed her to her, my grandmother was in the, in the nursing home, laying in the bed, dying. 
And I brought a girl in to her and said, Mimi, this is who I'm going to marry. And she took one look at her and said, well, a lot can slip between the cup and the lip. Do you know what that means? Just because you say it, so it ain't mean it's going to happen. Who are you to judge me? You make me feel bad. When I think you know that I've sinned and I haven't repented, you make me feel bad. How dare you judge me? Yet Paul says, chapter 5, verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do not judge, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. If you're outside of Christ, God is going to judge you. And he's going to use the same rules that he uses on me to judge me on you. But if you're a Christian... And in your unrepented of sin, you stand proud and, and haughty and angry and daring anyone to say anything because you're going to use this loophole. Well, what you need to be is disciplined. You need to be disciplined. Verse 6, your glorying your, your, your callous arrogance is, is no good. The leaven, the sinner with their sin, needs to get out of the lump. The church, uh, before this, that's the lump. The, the, it needs to get out of the church. Before this disorder causes any more chaos, any more problems, any more division. Cast them out of the church. Discipline them. Deliver them to Satan. Outside of the church, the body of Christ is the church. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. So outside of the church is outside of the body of Christ. Deliver such a one to Satan. You can't be in Christ and be delivered to Satan. When you deliver someone to Satan, you deliver them outside of Christ. All the blessings are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Separated from Christ, you're separated from God. All those who are not gods are Satan's. All those who are not light are dark. Understand this, sinners. Turn back to appropriate behavior. Make a distinction in your life. Sometimes this takes discipline. And I am disciplining you now. You're being disciplined now, whether you know it or not. Verse 11, it says, Church, don't even eat with such a person till they change. Don't even eat with them. Why? So they'll change. Because you love them. That's the reason. Quit looking outside. God's going to judge all them. God's going to judge all them on the outside. You look inside. Get the evil out of the church. Get the leaven out of the lump. Get the evil out of the person. What? You don't think you're qualified to do this? You don't think you're qualified? Look at chapter 6, verse 2. It says, Saints will judge the world. 
Look at verse 3. You will judge angels. How much more things pertaining to this life? (laughs) You're more than qualified, church. But it's mean. Mean? Mean? Really? That's the excuse. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? If you are living in an unrepented of sin, you will not go to heaven. And if I, by telling you that, James chapter 5, verse 20, if I, by telling you that, can, can get you away from sin and cover over a multitude of sins, you're going to heaven. Which one is more loving to let you go to hell or help you go to heaven? Which one is more loving? Which one is light and which one is dark? Which one is good and which one is bad? Which one is mean and which one is loving? Do not be deceived, he goes on to say. Don't let the world and its ruler trick you. Verse 10, neither fornicators nor those, those are those who have sex outside of marriage nor idolaters, those who put anything or anyone before God, nor adulterers, those who, who leave the marriage union and have sexual intercourse or, or in, in, with, with someone besides their mate, nor homosexuals, that's men with men or women with women, nor sodomites, that's men who use other men like a woman. Nor thieves, those who steal, nor covetous, those who unnaturally want and want and want. Nor drunkards, that's the party crowd. Nor revilers, they walk away from God, they revile, they talk bad about the only way to heaven. Nor extortioners, those who hold things over people for favors. None of these, none of these will go to heaven. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now make a distinction. Are you in the light or are you in the dark? Are you right with God or not right with God? Are you not sure? Do you not care? Have you gone against decorum and engaged in appropriate inappropriate behavior. You're being disciplined now in this sermon. Why? Because I'm, I'm making us all take a look at ourselves. You have been set outside of Christ and have been turned over to Satan because of your sinful behavior. And I have not pointed you out. I haven't pointed individual ones of you out. No, I haven't. But you have pointed you out because when you lay your life next to the life of Jesus Christ, you know you are found wanting. You know you need help. You know you're not right. You're the one that does that. But there's hope. There's hope. Oh, let me tell you about the hope. Let me tell you about the hope. You don't have to be in darkness anymore. Paul tells these Corinthians, verse 11, 
Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers and homosexuals and sodomites and thieves and and, and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners. But you were washed. You were baptized. You were sanctified. You were set apart for a reason. You were justified. You were made right. You were made righteous, pure and holy to God. In the name of our Lord Jesus, the only name by which we will be saved. And by the Spirit of our God who dwells in the Christian. You can imitate Paul in an episode of 1 Corinthians. And in the prequel. By obeying the gospel today. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was seen. Some of you may have been seen out there. You may be Christians. You may have already been baptized into Jesus Christ and and, and you've been seen out there. Not with very appropriate behavior. And you know you haven't been right. And you know you need to make it right. And you know there are people here that know about it. There are some of you here who know that someone is engaged in inappropriate behavior and you're okay with it. Church, we can't do that. We've got to help that person out. We've got to help that brother out, that sister out. Hey, but there's some of you who've never been baptized into Christ. And you can put Christ on in baptism. You can be buried with Christ in baptism. Put Him on and have your sins washed away. Then you'll be white as snow. Make a distinction. Do the appropriate thing this morning. Discipline yourself right now. As together we stand and sing.